This is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo, Christine and Shannon Curley, where we talk about all the things you learned or didn't learn in sex ed and where it all went wrong. From the abstinence curriculum to the monogamy myth and the vast spectrum of rainbow representation, we'll get real about sex positivity and catch you up on everything from proper anatomy to the holistic benefits of a great sex life. Tune in to Sex Ed Debunked wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, and welcome to Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast about sex positivity, sexual health, and feeling included. Because isn't that what we all want? It's what I want. Me too. (laughs) So say we all. So on this week's episode, in honor of Pride Month, we're chatting about the importance of creating inclusive and accepting spaces for folks of all identities, gender identity, sexual orientation, and all ages and all walks of life. Because when we're kinder to each other, life's a little bit easier. Amen. And speaking of amen. (laughs) Speaking of amen, later on this episode, we'll once again be joined by Reverend Beverly Dale to talk about inclusivity in religion, church, and faith, and hear what we both found to be a pretty encouraging perspective on why a good world, one that follows the good word, is one that loves and accepts people from all walks of life. Yeah. Um, Before we jump in, Uh, For those listeners who are just joining us, we want to go over a few terms that we've talked about in the past, um, including the minority stress model, anticipated stigma, and most recently from our episode with Gary Ware, Brave Spaces. Uh, Professor, can you remind our listeners what the minority stress model is and how it uniquely relates to the experience of many of our LGBTQ friends? Sure. So the minority stress model was developed um, several years ago in the early 2000s um, by a researcher, last name of Meyer, and he developed this model where he acknowledged that stigma-related prejudice and discrimination can be chronically stressful events that can impact health. And this model was designed specifically to address sexual minorities and gender minorities. Mm -hmm. And the basis of that model was about something called anticipated stigma, that feeling that you carry with you that you anticipate being judged for who you are. You anticipate being treated differently. You anticipate that people who surround you might think of you as some lesser, Mm -hmm. lesser person, lesser person they want to connect with, associate it. And a lot of that is not actually real, like a real discrimination. It's not based in a real experience. It's just the anticipation of a potential experience because of your identity. And and anticipated because of what the culture says Mm -hmm. is mainstream and and maybe anticipated because the way religion has been traditionally very negative towards same-sex relationships. Mm -hmm. And then what the minority stress model takes it a step farther and says, this is a chronic stressor. And what that means It's kind of ever-present in the life of someone who's LGBTQ in that it causes psychological distress, it can impact physical health, it can obviously impact mental health, um, and also can lead to um, higher instances of substance use disorders Mm -hmm. and higher instances of suicidality. So the minority stress model and the anticipated stigma is kind of a big deal, which is why we're talking about inclusion today. Right. And... To just revisit one of the topics that we talked about with our wonderful friend, Gary Ware, um, on a previous episode, 
we all, I think, have heard of the term safe space, and that's, you know, creating a, a space where people feel free and, um, you know, welcomed to be there so themselves. But what Gary re-termed uh, it was a brave space. And I really loved that term. And I think um, what we're talking about today in terms of inclusivity um, and sort of revisiting uh, the religious uh, you know, notions about LGBTQ inclusivity is that idea that when you create new spaces for people to be themselves and be who they truly are, you're able to create that brave space where we can learn and grow together. Exactly. And I think one of the things that you guys will get from this episode is some kind of pointers that we learned about how to find those brave spaces in the church. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's jump into our interview with uh, Rev Bev Dale of the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. In this interview, we debunked a number of myths about what the Bible really says about mm -hmm. LGBTQ folks. The Enjoy. good word. The good word. Obviously, we have June coming up. That is Pride Month uh, for those who are a part of the LGBTQ community. And uh, one of the topics we wanted to talk about with you was uh, LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church. Um, a lot of the folks that we've interacted with who are our followers for the podcast have talked about feeling like they don't belong in the church as they come into their identity um, and their sexual orientation or their gender orientation. Um, they just feel like the church doesn't see them anymore, doesn't want to see them anymore once they've kind of discovered that identity about themselves. So um, obviously you talk about sex positivity a lot, but also inclusion and also being a part of the community. So I think it would be really valuable um, and hopeful for our listeners to hear a little bit of your perspective on inclusion in the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, where does one start? Uh, what kind of a gospel would it be? What kind of good news would it be if it slices off a good chunk of the <laughs> human species as you don't belong? I mean, that's just not any good news. And uh, so the whole idea of looking for that kind of uh, pointing fingers through the eyes of Jesus or through his stories, it's, it's not there. It's simply not there. Um, he had an opportunity to uh, lambast people who were sexual uh, perverts, quote unquote, of his day, which would be the eunuchs of the time in Matthew. It was, it, he says, um, there are those who are made this way. There are those who um, are born this way. And there are those who are um, this way because of basically their spiritual path. And, um, and let those accept it who can. So that was a time if he had a problem with that uh, kind of sexual diversity for him to say it, and he didn't. There's also another Bible verse in which in Matthew as well, when he uses the word Raka, R-A-C-A, and nobody knew what that meant until about 1935. Um, and now it's translated as fool. And what, he, but now there's also research that shows us that that obscure word that he used that, um, that underlies that is related to a word that's translated now as homosexual. So what Jesus is saying at that point is really no gay bashing, according to one of the uh, authors. So there's just little little tidbits there. Um, but homosexuality, uh, the whole thing around homosexuality and the church, we have to remember come out of the Greco-Roman world that had no good news to say about women. And it was a mind-body disconnect. But what they, but what the Hebrews, I'm going to go back now farther than the Greco-Roman world, but the Hebrews were all about procreationism. Uh, 
So um, it wasn't that the passages in the Hebrew scriptures are really about making sure that every male made male babies. So any, any passage around homosexuality in the translated as homosexuality in the uh, Hebrew scriptures has to be read through that eye. So if they're not condemning um, uh, gay sex, what they're doing is condemning the wasting of the seed uh, in appropriate ways. All right. So that's, there's that piece in the Christian scriptures. Um, are, you want all of this stuff? I mean, this is a lot of stuff. We um, like the academic our podcast, we go into the academics hard and our people love it. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> so, so the Hebrew scriptures, how you look at this, you said there's, first of all, there's no such thing as homosexual orientation in the scripture. All right. It's just not acknowledged. Um, so there are two words that uh, we get the seven um, uh, anti-gay uh, translations from. I mean, that's there's seven passages, and there are two words it's based on. And scholars still don't really understand what they mean. So Malakoy is one of them, and it's tra- it was translated in King James um, as effeminate. Okay, so it's soft, it's cowardly, it's effeminate. That's what it means. And what that relates to, in my understanding, is that it's reflective of the purity codes of the uh, Jews. So you had to be, you had to know where you stood on the on the status bar, whether you're clean or unclean, remember? All right, so you can't have men acting like women. You can't have men being effeminate, quote unquote, because that messed up their purity code stuff. So that's one of the words. It's not about who you're having sex with at all. It's some obscure word about um, being effeminate or soft. And it's also something that's coming from a, a Jewish code, not from God or Jesus Christ. It's right. coming from a code that was created by men. And it's coming from through translations and it's coming through different worldviews. All right. I mean, and there's a pre-modern and now we're postmodern. I mean, it's a whole different understanding. So how do we get at that? But the second word I, is really even more fun. It's called our senacoite or our senacortal. And it, it it translates as man beds. Eh, nobody really knows what that means. And so it's been translated in all kinds of uh, bizarre kinds of ways. Uh, as masturbates or sexual perverts or sodomites or practicing homosexuals. I mean, you throw in, you know, the word that they don't want, don't des- describe themselves at, and they'll, they'll call it. But the truth is they honestly believe that um, Paul probably made that word up. So that's, that's, that's one conclusion. And the second one was it man beds might reflect, and this is from my mentor, uh, Robin Scroggs, who wrote the book, New Testament Homosexuality. Um, he did all the search on, on these kinds of these two words and Arsenicoitel, he thought men bed actually meant pederasty. So that when uh, Paul is talking about um, that situation, he will he is condemning what we're in the Bible is called homosexuals. It really means man beds. So he's really talking about pederasty. And it was common. It was common among high status men in the Greco-Roman world. So that's why he would point fingers at it. So there's any number of ways that we can um, argue that, you know, how can they argue against homosexual orientation when they didn't know that it existed and that it wasn't named like that? 
Um, we didn't even have the word heterosexual or homosexual until the late 1800s. So what was it before then? You know, th there's just so much uh, that doesn't come together in any kind of cohesive fashion unless you have already decided that gays are an abomination. And if you want to start at that point, you will be able to find all kinds of scripture to pile in there to prove your point. But that's exactly what you're doing. You're proving your point, not paying attention to who was writing it, why they were writing it, what the words meant at that time versus now and so forth. So that's a, that's a long-winded response. Confirmation bias. <laughs> it's a fascinating response. Hmm. And it is like Shannon said, it's confirmation bias. If you start if you you can go to you can go to any book and try to find evidence, right? But but you're you would say let's get back to the to the real teachings. What were the real teachings, right. and and what are the real teachings in your mind in terms of including um, diverse genders, diverse sexualities? What are the real teachings of God and Jesus Christ in this? Well, according to Paul, the, one of the first books that was written was the letter to Galatia Church. And, uh, and he says, in Christ, there is no male or female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And the early church in the second chapter of Acts actually was living out that kind of open doors, hospitality, inclusiveness among the people uh, of that early church experience. So uh, the word is love, period. Uh, they asked Jesus that point blank. And he said, you know, love God and your neighbor as you do yourself. So it's about where's the love. Um, and that is the main principle. It's an ethics of love. And now the problem comes to be, okay, what's that look like in today's world? Well, we know what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like exclusion, because when we start excluding, we start warring, we start bickering, and we start deciding who has more and who has less. And we start uh, having then a bifurcated society with a lot of wealthy, a few wealthy and a lot of poor um, homeless people and so forth. So, um, yeah, it has social ramifications, economic ramifications to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But that's a it's a, it's a hard message, isn't it, for us to follow, for a lot of people to really follow that message of love and to live that message of love. Right. Is, is not as easy as the exclusionary message that some would prefer to embrace. Sure, but the exclusionary message uh, is so gratifying for our self-righteousness. <laughs> you know, it feels good to know you're on the right side of history, right? Um, until you talk to the people who are on the so-called wrong side of history, you discover, wait a minute, there's another, there's another side to this story. So there's that. I think that some of the folks that we talked to who felt like they had been, you know, left out or that they didn't belong, they even voiced that their struggle was, you know, they're like, I'm not griping with, with God. I know God loves me. It's the church that I struggle with. Right. And I think that's a really big distinction. It's like, I know that God loves me. I know that in my heart. What I don't know is that God's followers feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. Holly Near had a song. I'm not afraid of Jesus. I'm not afraid of you know, she names Allah or whatever, but what I'm afraid is what you do in the name of your God. And uh, Okay, right. Yeah, well, uh, the church is most imperfect, but, uh, but if we're going to be about loving, what that does is it calls into question capitalism. It calls into question how we distribute resources in a society. Um, it calls into question how we segregate people in housing markets. I mean, there's a just... 
all kinds of things. It's a different paradigm than the consumeristic capitalistic system that we have in the Western world. Some would say it's more socialist. I would say okay. that myself. Well, but. maybe it's maybe it's democratic socialist where we can have rights and we can still have merit. Do you um, know other, obviously your own church, and there were a number of churches mentioned in the Washington Post article, but there are, are there other churches that you are aware of that, that preach this gospel of inclusion? Sure, sure. And it's not congregations, it's denominations. So the Unitarian Universalists, some of them who call themselves Christians, some of them who do not, um, are very uh, comfortable with sexual diversity. The United, Christ, uh, the United Church of Christ, as a denomination, is very comfortable with diversity, um, and it would be a very unusual congregational or UCC church that would have any kind of negative things to say uh, about sexual diversity. Um, the Disciples of Christ, which is my own background, um, we have the full gamut of people who are very to the right and people who are very inclusive. Um, so let's see, Presbyterians are also divided. There is a Methodists are also divided on this question, but there is a key code you can use. Actually, there's a key. And that is if you go by United Methodist Church and it says on the sign reconciling congregation, that means they've done their work around homosexuality issues and they're cool. Um, Presbyterian churches have a key. It's called a more light congregation. And that means they've done their work. It's safe to go in there. If you're gay, you will never hear a homophobic uh, sermon. Um, so that look for the key codes. I, I can I have that on something on my website at the Incarnation Institute on the, called the IISF resource sheets. How to know it's called how to know if your congregation is sex positive. I believe that's the name of it. Um, but the Quakers also Society of friends here on the East Coast. Um, they're pretty cool with Sexual diversity is not a problem. Yeah. Um, but the issue, now I've gone back to denominations because that's my heritage. But going forward into this century, um, churches will cease to be or are going to emerge into a different kind of form. And the denominations themselves probably will not last. And there's a lot of boohoo around that. But in as much as it brings about liberation, particularly sexual liberation, and abundant living, uh, I think that's okay. And it will probably take the form of uh, podcasts and organizations that gather around like interest um, who maybe have their, their history or their heritage in Christian understandings that are complementary. The Jesus teachings are complementary to other universal teachings as well, like Gandhi. So Gandhi says, um, when you become fully Christian, and I become fully Hindu, there we will meet. And uh, in order to save the planet, that kind of cooperative universality is what we have got to be looking at. And I think love is the uniting force. We all know what it is uh, to want to be loved and to be loved, hopefully. Um, and that's what's going to really deconstruct the mess we've created and resurrect a new, new way of being in a world as, as a global family. I think that's a great message um, to leave our, our listeners with. And it's moving. Um, there was a study that I read that touched on this, but it said, you know, 
there's a growing number of people in their 30s and younger that are becoming religiously unaffiliated. But within those folks, there's more people who are becoming spiritually open. And I think that's very much what you're referring to is that spiritual openness and the way that love can connect you in that openness. Yeah, I think you might be referring to Diana Bass's book, Christianity After Religion. Um, mm. She's one who cited that uh, quite a bit. So she's very hopeful, but Christianity is going to look really different um, and take a new face. And I think that's positive for, for younger people coming up is to say, let's get down to the basics about what it is to be human and what it is to be human is to be sexual creatures in these beautiful bodies and to love pleasure. I absolutely love talking to RevBev. She's fantastic. She's I wish I could best. hang. I wish I could hang with her every day. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hang out. Well, we'll just like watch her web, uh, you know, web series all the time and it'll be like we're there. Um, before we wrap up, I did want to mention that even though we specifically focused on the Bible in this episode, a lot of the lessons from RevBev are true across many religions. Um, old religious texts have been misconstrued, misinterpreted and used for evil, not good for pretty much as long as they've been around. Um, but things can change and they have. And even, uh, you know, in some of the anecdotes we received from some of our listeners, we heard encouraging stories about, you know, times are a changing and the world is becoming a more welcoming place, we hope. Um, the human yeah, some parts of the world. <laughs> some parts of the world. Yeah, you're right. And Absolutely. you know what? Go to those parts of the world and go, go to there. those parts of the United States while you're at it. <laughs> go where the food is. That's a Sam Kinison bit. Um, <laughs> the go human, where the acceptance is. <laughs> uh, the Human Rights Campaign also recently updated their page on faith positions, quote unquote, and we'll post that link uh, to the episode guide. But uh, you can refer to the Human Rights Campaign page to sort of see where different religious groups stand at this point um, and which religious religions themselves and churches are, quote unquote, open and affirming, um, which I think is really important language because it's saying that these churches are not just, you know, going, all right, fine. Yeah, you can come. But actually, we affirm you and we want you here. So we'll share yeah. that. What they say in the in the the research world beyond tolerance to actual acceptance to actual inclusion. Yay. Well, and, and actual <laughs> affirmation. Yeah. You know, affirmation yeah. is sort of the next step, I think. I think we've always heard of that. Well, you know, not always, but there has been that understanding for a while of moving from tolerance to exception. But I think the um, acceptance, but I think the next step then is affirmation. And it's like, we want you here. I love it. Yeah. This Pride Month, we want to remind you that there will always be a place for you to find comfort and community, whether that's a church, a social group, or even a sex podcast. Hey, that's us. <laughs> uh, keep being who you are and know that you're loved and seen and valued. So today's myth was that the Bible is against homosexuality and LGBTQ folks. Uh, untrue. Patently untrue. Wrong. <laughs> really untrue. So thanks to our conversation with Rev Bevdale, we know that the teachings of Jesus' religious texts were meant to be inclusive, loving, and accepting. Any other interpretations are self-serving and probably coming from a little bit of a scared place. Uh, it's definitely fear. There's a lot of fear based in this non-inclusive world, but God is good and he created everyone as good. And that is the message. That's of, our message. Yeah. <laughs> that's the message. And whether you believe that or not, the, the greater purpose of this episode is to remind you that uh, a lot of bigotry is up for interpretation <laughs> and you are you are welcome here and there are plenty of people in this world on all religions all stances all sides of things that will welcome you so thanks again to rev bev for joining us um and for helping us understand gospel and scripture and how to use it to our advantage when defending our lgbtq friends uh, from religious bigots <laughs> so that is another myth put, put to bed, bed. Uh, happy Pride Month. Go put on some rainbow paraphernalia. And hey, we'll see you in a couple weeks at Providence Pride. Woohoo!
we'll be there. We will be there. We might be giving away a few things. (laughs) Definitely stickers, maybe some toys. I don't know. You'll have to come by to find out. That's right. (laughs) All right. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together, which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us, are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media along with myself, Shannon Curley, and Christine Curley. From Trailblaze Media, our engineering is handled by Ezra Winters. Mm-hmm.